1: I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to games with names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports. I am Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew, and uh, every week for the next four months on this program, we are going to be looking forward to Sunday's main slate of games from a daily fantasy perspective. This is just kind of kind of be a a loose, informal kind of first look at the slate, getting everyone ready to uh, pump in their daily fantasy teams and uh it feels it feels very good and very weird to be previewing real games you know because you know we've been doing all these season-long drafts and and one of the things you realize is uh oh we need to start drafting like defenses for specific matchups and everything and and now like we're at the point of where we're drafting and we're drafting for things actually happening
4: yeah definitely and it's hard to rewire your brain too just from thinking about how things might shake out over the course of the season to how they're going to look in week one A lot of interesting cases that, you know, guys like Todd Gurley, we might not be super high on over the course of the year, but they're definitely going to be guys we need to sort of reset our brains on for week one as far as the role that they might have. And I'm definitely excited to get into this and, you know, go go game by game.
3: Yeah, very, very pumped. And, uh, you know, there are going to be some games that we spend a lot of time on and there are going to be some games that we don't spend that much time on because they're just not uh, not as great. For daily fantasy purposes, the first one, though, and, uh, we're just going to be kind of going left to right here in the Daily Rota Optimizer for the main slate. So if you guys are Daily Rota subscribers, you'll be able to uh, to follow along in, uh in the optimizer. And uh, I got to say, this very first game, Seattle and Atlanta, this is my favorite game of the main slate. I, I think that I plan on having loads of exposure to both of the quarterbacks in this game to the four wide receivers in this game. I think you, I think Disley is, uh, well, we'll we'll see. I hope we get some reports on Sunday morning that we can update in the Optimizer. But I, you know, I think that Hurst and one of the Seattle tight ends uh, is is possibly playable. Where Where are you at on this game?
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing we know about the Seahawks is they do run a pretty efficient offense. They don't always run a ton of plays, but it is highly concentrated. And so you definitely know where to go. And if this game is going to go off, it is going to be through Russ Lockett and or Metcalf and Chris Carson would be the only other option. I think that really has a massive like slate breaking potential on the game. I think if you are running double stacks, including the Seattle tight ends, whether it's Olsen or Disley, depending on the inactives, and that's definitely stuff that you want to monitor the Sunday alerts for, you know, you can run those guys in double stacks. But other than like outside of a game stack environment, I don't think you're really looking to target the Seattle side of things. And You know, Russ had, you know, two or three huge blow up games last year. And this is definitely the type of environment that it could happen in. Um, But for the most part, otherwise, you weren't really getting ceiling performances outside of those big three targets. So if I'm looking at stacks outside of this game, I really don't think I'm going to deviate too much from the obvious plays being Metcalf, Lockett and Chris Carson.
3: So uh, right now, our projections are pretty high on Todd Gurley. I find that to be a pretty fragile projection uh i i'm kind of and i'm obviously you know a a noted uh a noted todd gurley hater what are what are your thoughts priced at 6700 on DraftKings. uh i mean are our, our, i think that our percentages look right i just i feel very non-confident about playing him this aggressively though
4: yeah and i think you know he's the perfect example of needing to rewire your brain from the season-long mindset just because you aren't quite as worried about the injury risk with gurley his price is very affordable and I think the price specifically compared to some of the other backs that might get similar workloads is pretty low so you know we have him as a top 10 back on this slate and we do have him projected for a passing role but his market shares are, are lower than sort of the other alpha backs and he's definitely getting boosted up a little bit by just the overall offense of the Falcons and the fact that they're expected to score more touchdowns than some of these other players so uh, I for me you know goes against my gut instinct a little bit, but I do think that this is a good example of, you know, wanting to be able to trust the projections on a guy. Um, Probably my biggest concern is just if I did want to stack the game is how popular it's going to be and um, whether or not there's going to be a prevalence of like Calvin Ridley, Julio with Matt Ryan teams. And the weird thing that we saw from Matt Ryan last year is he didn't often drag along two or more players with him when he had big games. A lot of times it was concentrated in an individual matchup and, uh, just like the double stacks for Ridley and Julio, I would expect those to be popular based on like season long ADPs. Um, and so I guess that's my kind of pause is whether or not there are going to be other games that perhaps could be a little bit more concentrated than the Atlanta, where you mentioned there are, you know, four or five guys that I think are fairly viable in tournaments, including Russell Gage.
3: Uh, I mean, 100 percent. I think that this is the early candidate to be the. I mean, far and away, the most owned game. I, I don't even know if there is a, a close number two game in terms of game stack. So I think for maybe, maybe Tampa Bay, New Orleans, if there are some, some Brady truthers out there, I guess would, uh, would potentially be close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think probably actually for single entry and three max, I would just not consider this at all because I would like, I would expect, for example, in like the $33 single entry on DraftKings for maybe 25% of the player pool to have one of these quarterbacks stacked with one of their receivers or something like that, like a really high percentage for a 12-game slate?
4: Yeah, we usually see quarterbacks spread a little bit, but as you get into single entry, yeah, you could see that. Um, I was thinking maybe like 15% for the two quarterbacks combined, but then higher ownership on the individual pieces.
3: Yeah, Um, and, you know, they are, like, specifically in the case of Metcalf and Ridley, I think they are, like, even bet like I really want to play them stacked cuz I think they are so their projections are so related to game script where you know if Atlanta is winning this by 10 I think Ridley is obviously going to have a harder time hitting his median projection and Metcalf is is definitely a ceiling player where uh, I mean, we saw this a bunch of times last year where if Seattle has a big lead, he ends up being, you know, pretty, pretty useless for fantasy purposes. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and head into our first break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to continue to go through the player pool on DraftKings for daily fantasy purposes, uh, going game by game, previewing all of the decision points and kind of just having a a light look at uh, GPP strategy for Daily Fantasy in Week 1 in 2020. See you guys in just a few moments.
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on the search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the, the play game. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you call him Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're saying, saying right now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2000- 2004 ALCS with Big Papi.
5: The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in
1: a winner, chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to games with names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida.
6: Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need.
0: In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to the dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
7: Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports.
5: Lily Herman, my co host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then.
7: Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. Pssh. I'm Tony Cam Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator.
5: I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent.
7: And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little...
5: dazed and confused.
7: Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports.
5: Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But You also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod?
7: Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
5: or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it.
3: All right, everyone. Hello and welcome back to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsCrit TV. I am Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew, and we are uh, previewing the week one. NFL Daily Fantasy Slade, the main slate on DraftKings going game by game. Our next game here is Las Vegas and Carolina. Uh, Not expecting this game to be super popular. I have to say, though, pretty interesting to me because these are two really bad passing defenses. And uh, I am sort of thinking that there is some sneaky upside in this game.
4: Yeah, this is definitely one where, I mean, obviously, Christian McCaffrey is on the slate. I think it's going to be tough in general to fit him in this year. But week one, it's going to be a little bit more affordable than it would be for other weeks. And so, you know, on FanDuel, I think CMC is even more easy to fit in just with some of the value. On DK, I think he'll be like 20% owned in tournaments. And I I think he's still kind of in play. You do have some value to make it fit. Obviously, he's going to be the number one projected running back almost every week. Um, as, As far as potential upside spots, I guess you know, the Las Vegas side of things, I think is pretty interesting. One of the things we saw in week one of last year was that there were some huge performances from rookie wide receivers that went off at sub 5% or even sub 1% ownership, you know, whether that was Terry McLaurin, uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown, like guys who had massive ceilings and people weren't ready to pull the trigger on them yet, just because it's hard to project what their role is going to be. And so I think like Henry Ruggs is pretty interesting from that perspective in tournaments. He's a little bit priced up at 5,100. So definitely not A guy that I would want to play in cash games, but I think he's the type of player that you could see at 1% ownership on this slate where you don't really know um, how he's going to be used. But you do know that there's a lot of big play potential and a lot of targets that are vacated from the offense. I think the other interesting thing for Oakland to monitor is just going to be less for week one, but more for week two moving forward is just the interaction between Hunter Renfro, Dalen Waller and Henry Ruggs as far as snaps, just because they could eat into each other's um, snap share a lot at the slot position.
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree. One of the things I am just I'm taking this I'm making this stand right now. Uh, I am going to play a lot of Henry Ruggs in single entry GPP like MME. I'm gonna he's he's not projected super well in our uh, our optimizer right now. I am just I'm going to boost him a ton because I I do think that he has, you know, legit kind of slate breaking upside and I'm uh, I'm very in on that. I I love I of course I'm going to love jamming in all of uh all of these rookies. Uh moving now to Miami and New England. Uh hot hot takes from the Daily Roto Optimizer. Uh Cam Newton is projected as our second highest scoring quarterback and really not projected as you know that much of a rusher it's just you can you ask for an easier matchup than at home to the miami dolphins for your first start as a new england patriot i don't think you can
4: yeah so i guess gut reaction would you play cam and cash games this week without knowing what the offense is going to look like
3: he is he is currently as you as you and i are talking he is saved in my DraftKings.com cash game lineup as my quarterback i think i might get cold feet and play carson wentz instead because carson wentz is like the you know he's like the 18 condom play at a, you know he just is going to grind out 18 DraftKings points that uh you know that that's going to happen but cam i think is the he, he's not going to be that owned in your head-to-head games and i think he like obviously he can sweep the slate for you because he could score three rushing touchdowns
4: yeah so I'm pretty interested in this game for tournaments. I, I'm more of a tournament player than a cash game player, but I don't think I would be able to stomach like the uncertainty about the role and the rushing uh, potential. for like We do have them projected for 20% of the rushing touchdowns, which is pretty substantial, and we just don't know how they'll use them in the goal line. And But I do like this play a lot for tournaments, and I especially like it because I think that like there's not going to be much ownership on Edelman because people are scared about who Cam's going to target. There's not going to be much ownership on Harry because training camp reports have been up and down and not glowing and so i do think that even if cam is popular i think that his targets are going to be extremely low owned and so i like that from a tournament perspective i also really only have interest in Devontae parker or joseki on the Dolphins side of things more so in a bring back environment that i do is like one-off pieces in other lineups
3: Yeah, I I think uh, I think I'm on board with that. If I if I wanted to put my sleeper hat on a little bit in this game, I do think there is a decent chance that one of Jakeem Grant or Isaiah Ford ends up being like a pretty solid. Cheap play, just because, you know, we have Miami projected to have to pass a ton in this game, obviously, as they are going to be trailing against the uh, New England Patriots, who have uh, you're know, probably a weak secondary, actually, with all the guys that opted out for them. And uh, I do. I love the Jakeem Grant, you know, big play upside.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I think for the Patriots backfield, you know, it's probably a stay away situation entirely. I, until I'm we literally, see some yeah.
3: roles. I'm not playing maybe maybe I would play Rex Burkhead on DraftKings right maybe maybe there is some argument to playing him there because Damian Harris is going to be inactive I mean we have a reasonable projection for Rex Burkhead at at 10 DraftKings points right I I mean I actually think he is like a board like if you were to play him over Antonio Gibson in single entry because Gibson is going to be so chalky I actually kind of like it
4: yeah, so I don't think that one will be a wait and see position for me. The next game I have a pretty hard time trying to figure out the Colts versus Jaguars. Colts a surprisingly high team total, around yeah. 27. Uh, they are big favorites obviously over Jacksonville in Jacksonville, but not a stadium you're super intimidated by anyways, and especially with kind of the current COVID climate. Uh, Rivers generally doesn't have a super high ceiling, but the one thing he does do is lock on and spam targets to individual players. So uh punting tight end i think that doyle is definitely going to be in play as one of the punt tight end options really curious to see how rivers target distribution breaks down and then even more curious to see the rushing workload because if they do get ahead we expect indy to try to run the ball you've got Marlon mack there you've got taylor there the presence of both of those guys i think is going to make sure that nobody plays either one of them um i'm not excited about that but i do wonder if you have any opinions there
3: so Doyle, I am not, uh, I'm not excited about, I gotta say though, he might be the most owned tight end in cash games because people kind of look at, they see the team total, they see, you know, Ebron's gone. They see there's no clear slot wide receiver on this team. I, I think Ebron's going to be an, an incredibly popular play. Like he, he Doyle is going to be a more popular play than his projection suggests basically. So I, you know, I think that, I think that is sort of interesting, my thought for this game is I don't love the Indianapolis side because I don't get as, I don't have a great sense of how they're going to distribute their scoring. Like I think maybe they they have a larger role planned for Zach Pascal than the public might expect. I think they might legit rotate all three running backs, Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines in a way that kind of makes them undesirable. The plays that I would be interested in, in this game, you know, obviously LaVisca Chenault. I I mean, if I don't play, if I don't play a little bit of LaVisca Chenault, I am a, I'm a, a massive hypocrite. And Eifert at 3,300 to me as well, I think is a, a pretty interesting MME sprinkle.
4: Yeah, I think like Eifert's just not on my radar at all, would be the type of guy I only got to in like the 1 p.m. Only slate. Um know I think the price is fair. He would be a sprinkle play for me more than a core play, but 4400 definitely kind of in the mix if you do think he's going to step immediately into a decent-sized workload. And then um, DJ Chark, another guy I probably won't end up with very much exposure to just because of the game environment, uh, and he is priced at sort of an appropriate $6,300 level.
3: Yeah. Uh I think I think that seems about fair. Uh this will be a short conversation. The New York Jets against the Buffalo Bills, a 17-point team total for the Jets, a 23-point team total for the Bills. I think the uh the players that I'm interested in in this game are the defenses and uh I think that's about it.
4: Yeah, so I mean, if you haven't been following Austin's news, uh, the Bills did draft Zach Moss. He's expected to split the workload with Singletary, and it could be like a hot hand type approach where you don't know on a week-to-week basis who's going to get 55 versus 45% of the snaps and carries, and you don't necessarily know who's going to get the goal line work. So definitely off of the Bills' running game. Um, I mean, the matchup with the Jets is the type of matchup you'd be looking to use Josh Allen in. And so I do think uh, Allen single stacked with one of Diggs or Brown, I think, is an option for tournaments. Not kind of the primary spot I'm looking to, but I think I'm I'm willing to consider it a little bit more than dismiss it. The Jets, you know, it's going to be tough. Le'Veon Bell is 5,600, and he definitely is not the guy that we're used to. But he still was getting like 65 percent of the workload. Last he's year. a legit they, good
3: play yeah they didn't bring is. in
4: anybody either
3: yeah it is uh, i mean they have frank gore and i guess that's the kind of the one thing where you'd be like you know adam Gase. he's such a hard O. maybe you know maybe something happens uh but we are going to go ahead and head into our second break here on the daily road uh on the daily roto hour here on sports grid tv when we return we will head to chicago and detroit and continue to move game by game
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
0: I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends his influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida.
6: Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need.
0: In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to the Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast,
1: or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports Grid TV. I am Davis Matic joined by Colin Drew, as we continue our game-by-game game preview of the main DFS slate uh, this upcoming Sunday. We have gone through the first uh, five games on the slate, moving now to Chicago and Detroit. And uh, I, I actually think that people might think that this is like a, a gross game or whatever. I actually see some real game stack potential in this Chicago and Detroit game. I, I feel pretty decent about both of these teams abilities to score against each other's defenses. Cause I think both of the defenses are, are pretty mediocre. Yeah.
4: And I think from a news and notes perspective, there are a few things that are worth calling out. Um, I, the biggest thing is whether or not David Montgomery is going to play in this game. And you know, the bears may have tipped their hand a little bit by what they did by cutting some of the back running backs and depth players that they had, because behind Montgomery, you know, they obviously have Tariq Cohen more of a passing role. And then it's Ryan Nail, Cordero Patterson. So Montgomery's health is going to be important. It, you know, if he's ruled out, I think you have to wonder who's going to get those carries and whether or not it would shift the Bears into more of a pass centric mode. And so I think Tariq Cohen at 4,900 is at least somewhat interesting in tournaments. And you are, you know, especially in a slate where there's going to be one really popular value play in Antonio Gibson. You know, it doesn't take a lot for someone to appear in an optimal, just kind of outscoring that player. So I think that Cohen will be pretty interesting, depending on Montgomery's status and what it might mean for the overall game plan for the Bears. Obviously, on the Lions side of things, you know, Adrian Peterson signed. We don't exactly know what his Week One role is going to be. We do know that it could lead to a pretty big committee in Detroit. So uh, I'm a little less optimistic, and I'm definitely not looking forward to using the Lions' run game at all.
3: So if it uh, if it came out that David Montgomery's out. Corderell Patterson is starting at running back for the Chicago Bears. What would you do with him in GBP?
4: (laughs) So, I mean, he'd be 3,400 at that point. I think that even if he's starting, what we would probably expect is that they're still going to throw the ball a little bit more. They're definitely not going to use like a normal run heavy game plan um, with him out there. And so, I mean, it would depend where the projections had him. I think he would definitely be in play, but I wouldn't be lock-buttoning him at 3,400 just because I would expect them to still use Cohen pretty heavily
3: um i mean i expect that cohen would play uh like all the third downs pretty much like all the important pass blocking snaps and stuff but i i would i would certainly not be able to help myself corderel patterson priced at 3400 on DraftKings as a wide receiver i i think i mean i i would probably play him in cash i think like i just i really would not be able to stop myself at that point
4: yeah and then on the detroit side um I, I they have think a their, bunch of
3: interesting guys.
4: Yeah, like their pass offense, I think, is pretty stackable. Uh, I mean, Galladay had a huge ceiling last year, and that was with mediocre, inconsistent quarterback play. You've got Matt Stafford back, 6,200, a pretty affordable price tag if you do want to go with a game stack in this type of game. And then you you know that you have a little bit of concentration in the offense between Galladay, Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson, as far as the passing side of things, if they were to fall behind.
3: Yeah, I, I think I'm on board with uh, I'm on board with most of that I think Hawkinson to me looks like the guy who is who has the ability to provide a decent amount of leverage because you look at the guys, you know, priced around him at tight end. I expect Hurst to be more popular because of the game stacks. I expect Goddard to be more popular because Wentz will be more owned. You know, I expect uh, and then I expect you just a huge chunk of the pool to be going towards uh uh both chris herndon and jack toyle i guess we probably could have talked a little bit about herndon during the uh the jets and the buffalo game but to hawkinson i think you can play as a standalone and obviously is like uh you know you just any any matt stafford lineup you play two of galladay marvin jones tj hawkinson and i think that's super strong and i you know i think he can throw four touchdowns pretty easily
4: yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I agree that he will be less popular than some of the other options, especially you know George Kittle being on this slate as well.
3: Yeah, uh, that uh, that definitely does uh, that definitely does swing things. Okay, another game that uh, you know the total doesn't necessarily anticipate it being you know a, a crazy game or anything like that, but Philadelphia and Washington early on looks like it is going to be. I, I I guess I'm not sure if it's going to be a super popular. "Quote unquote game stack." I am very certain, though, that it is going to be an extremely popular individual play game. I expect Miles Sanders to be really popular. I expect Carson Wentz to be popular. Zach Ertz. Um, I think that uh, I think Deshaun Jackson is going to be one of the most popular plays on all of DraftKings. Uh, you know, and then on the Washington side, both Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin are going to be incredibly, incredibly popular.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think that is definitely true. And one of the things, especially week one, with so much unknown, I am going to try to get away from the wide receivers and tight ends that seem like they're trending towards being mega popular just because there is so much unknown, both as far as, you know, the roles of individuals, maybe not as much with Deshaun Jackson, but also the volatility of the position in general. So I think you did identify the plays that will be popular on the Washington side. McLaurin's price, I think, you know, he is arguably an alpha wide receiver in this league playing for a bad team. And he's definitely priced a, a peg below that. It wouldn't be surprising to see him priced in like the mid six thousands. And so he's definitely a guy that I think should draw attention. He's a guy that pops in our projections. He's a guy that does have a pretty high ceiling. Antonio Gibson is definitely going to be what makes or breaks a slate. Just a lot of uncertainty as far as what the Washington football team will do with their backfield and with Antonio Gibson Peyton Barber might eat into some workload. JD McKissick is a guy who can play a lot in third downs, good pass catching back. And then we don't really know how they're going to use Bryce Love. So you could see a scenario where, you know, Gibson is either a $4,000 back in a three headed backfield, or you could see an alpha that gets used in the passing game um, and gets like a really high workload.
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I 100% think that, uh, he has one of the wider range of outcomes, like the like my my confidence bands for his projection are very small, because I think that if you told me that he got the third most touches in this backfield, I'd be like, well, you know, I mean, I guess I guess that is uh, I guess that is, in fact, possible. Also, I, I've never seen this before. This is hilarious. Every Washington football team running back Gibson McKissick, Barbara and Love on DraftKings, they are all priced at exactly four thousand that that's i don't know, that's just really funny to me uh also hot hot button topic logan thomas 2800 what do we what do i mean i i think he's actually legit in play i i do
4: i mean i'm always fine with a punt tight end um it's it's not a play that i want to make or break the slate it's not the type of guy i would probably put into single entry or three max build but like i have no issues with punting a starting tight end on most slates
3: yeah, and I mean at 2,800, uh, I I already know I already know my buddy Sammy Reed is like lining up his cash lineups to get Logan Thomas in there and wait for the uh, wait for the inevitable touchdown. Um, and I I think that uh, if you were wanting to look at some ways to do bringbacks for your lineups where you have uh, you know Wentz double stacked or whatever, I think Steve well. What do we think? What do we think Steven Sims is going to be rostered? Because I, I do like him in a vacuum. I really don't like him at like 13 percent. Oh, so.
4: I think he'll be like two percent. And, you know, he he's sort of a similar type of player to Antonio Gibson as far as how they were using him last year getting some targets but also running some jet sweeps and things like that and it is expected that don Charles inman will be the starting wide receiver opposite mclaurin not a guy that we're really high on but did want to cover that piece of news and yeah i don't see any reason that sims would be popular at all in this spot i do think he should be included in the game stacks and i think you're fine including you know gibson as a bring back in the game stacks as well just because you know the pass catching prowess is a lot of the reason that people are interested in him
3: yeah, uh I, I think that uh I think that is true. Alright, another another game here before we get to break. Cleveland and Baltimore. Uh I guess very interesting in the sense that uh I have basically no interest in the Cleveland side, but I love everyone on Baltimore, right? I think you know Lamar is the strongest play. Lamar a better play on FanDuel, I suppose, where the, the salary cap is a little bit looser. Andrews. Incredibly strong play. Marquise Brown, I think, is a uh you know, a, a potential cash game play even on DraftKings. That might be that might be a little bit of a hot take. And I mean, right now we have the split between Ingram and Dobbins projected pretty evenly. If you are of the opinion that it should lean more in Ingram's favor, he's probably a smash at fifty five hundred.
4: Yeah, really interesting game. And, you know, we saw Baltimore just roll offenses last year and roll on teams. And so, what happened when that happened is Lamar brought everyone along for the ride with him. So, Definitely can stack Lamar with Andrews Brown. But one of the surprising things was we actually saw in Lamar's ceiling games last year that he actually brought Ingram along for the ride in a third of them. So if you are building Lamar's stacks, I actually want to include Mark Ingram in that group this week. And I think, you know, there is some risk that Dobbins gets more of a workload though opening week, but I'm fine in tournaments to roll with him. Definitely would try to avoid him in cash games. And if Baltimore's up this much, I'm probably going to try to include uh, Browns on the way back in the game stack. Uh, the pricing isn't necessarily doing us favors there. So I would say Jarvis Landry is probably my favorite one to get in there, but I'd be fine with Landry and Beckham in there. It's not optimal from a pricing perspective just because we have them as mediocre individual values. Um, so that might be an example where I use a key boost rule for the bring back instead of forcing it to happen.
3: Yeah, I think, that, uh, I think that's probably fair. Also, I am I am cool playing Baltimore Ravens players unstacked right like being like lamar whether it be lamar whether it be marquise whether it be andrews because i think they're a, they they have they're they are going to have some weeks where they are low volume but they score five touchdowns you know and uh, so I, i'm cool kind of trying to isolate the touchdowns as opposed to correlating them all together
4: yeah i think for lamar i don't think i would play him unstacked just because at his price he's got to do so much and he's definitely going to bring people along with them but i agree with the individual pieces on the other guys
3: uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think that seems, you know, kind of, kind of about right. Do you, do you have a, do you have a, a big preference between the exact same price to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry? Again, a funny DraftKings social experiment.
4: Yeah, not really. I mean, a slight preference maybe to Jarvis Landry, just cause I think he's legitimately been the better player the past couple of years. Um, but not like a, a huge preference. It'd be fine to let ownership tie break that one. Uh, The other guy I just wanted to get your thoughts quickly on if you'd include them in double stacks was, you know, Baltimore has Miles Boykin and Willie Sneed, both priced around $4,000 as well. And um, I could see a situation where, you know, those guys step into more of a role. If Baltimore is not obviously able to run as many three tight end sets, maybe they're using wide receivers more. So are you punting at wide receiver with Baltimore at all or only in
3: game stacks? Probably not. And uh, we can cover that a little bit more in depth when we uh, get back from break here
2: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
0: i'm davis miller host of the new podcast the Dow of muhammad ali i met ali back in 1988 and to my great surprise we became friends His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida.
6: Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need.
0: In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to the dial of Muhammad Ali on the
1: iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. Deep. The
5: Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the three
1: and all. in a winner chicken dinner, homie. Oh, the man. immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw he fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're gonna dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here at the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. We left off at break there discussing what we would do with uh, unstacked Baltimore wide receivers. And, uh, you know, I I think the guy I would imagine having a little bit of slate breaking potential is Miles Boykin. If Miles Boykin is, in fact, playing the role that I have projected for him, which is kind of that replacement second tight end, you know, playing a lot in the slot, you know, doing a lot of run blocking, you know, if he plays 85% of the snaps or something like that, I think that is pretty, pretty strong, basically.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um... Yeah.
3: Um, All right. So our, our next game here, Green Bay, Minnesota, uh, no no interest in game stacking this one for me. I think Thielen and Devonte Adams. I mean Devonte Adams is one of the strongest plays on the slate uh, in in my in my estimation. You know, we have him with a 30% market share of that Green Bay offense. I think he is a an incredibly strong play.
4: Yeah, this is a game I probably won't get to in single entry 3max, but I do think in larger builds where you're building 20, 50, 150 teams, I think that This type of game has a lot of characteristics that do lead to winning millionaire maker lineups. And I think part of that is, you know, it is a high total game. It could be competitive. Both offenses could open it up if they have to, even though they prefer to run. And you don't really know who the second wide receiver is going to be for either quarterback. And therefore, you're going to get almost no ownership on either of the guys. So for Kirk Cousins, we know that Thielen is going to be the primary target. But. Beyond that, it seems like B.C. Johnson is going to start as the second wide receiver. seems like Irv Smith could have a little bit of a bigger role this year. And so double stacking Cousins is going to be something where the single stack is extremely popular, double stack less. So same thing on the Green Bay side where Adams should be popular for all Rodgers stacks. But I don't think people really know who to choose for the second one. So. I know we did see some winning millionaire maker lineups last year with Rodgers in a similar situation. I do think that over the course of the season, this is the the type of environment that you do want to try to target in larger field tournaments. Uh,
3: I can I can get on board with that. You know, I I want to be I want to be short. Uh, I, I definitely want to be uh, short. Uh, Aaron Rodgers kind of as much as possible. But this week is uh, it's a good week to chase it. Okay. The Los Angeles Chargers and the Cincinnati Bengals. This one is, I think, my main kind of off the beaten path target in single entry and three max because Joe Burrow gives us a couple things. One, he gives us sort of a, a projectable ceiling in the sense of we haven't seen him play before in the NFL, but he was you know, such an incredible player in college where I think his range of outcomes is very wide. And he also runs a little bit. So, you know, he could add 40 yards and a rushing touchdown or or something that kind of of like uh, what Kyler was doing uh, weeks four through eight last year. I I think that he kind of has a similar range of outcomes to those early Kyler games. I think Boyd is priced appropriately. Uh, I would like for A.J. Green not to play instead of what I have him projected for now, which is I kind of have John Ross and A.J. Green splitting that secondary wide receiver role. And I think um cj Uzuma has a chance to be a a fairly decent part of this offense as well
4: yeah and i think from a notes perspective you touched on it a little bit but aj green one of the the big pieces as far as notes they do expect him to be active in the game but kind of on a snap count pitch count type of thing so takes away any ceiling from him it also could damage the ceiling of like the complementary pieces on the Bengals. so um, if you are stacking definitely need to keep that into consideration the other thing on The Chargers side is just trying to understand what this offense might look like with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback after so many years of it being a Philip Rivers-led team that would be willing to kind of chuck the ball up in the air and spam targets to individual guys. I think right now we're projecting it definitely to be more run-heavy than it was last year, but pretty concerned as far as the number of plays that they run and whether or not it could impact that materially. And so, you know, I, I definitely want to like Austin Eckler a little bit. I think that Keenan Allen's price is reasonable, but I have so many concerns just about the the style of game that the Chargers might play that it probably will keep me in like a wait and see mode for the opening week.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I just, I think that these are exploitable. I think this is a, a clear exploitable spot, especially if Mike Williams doesn't play for single entry and three max. Like I, I kind of like the idea of, playing jalen guyton joe reed you know one of these one of these guys and just and as as like a bring back and trying to find you know literally like a a 0.8 percent owned you know 14 point game or whatever especially if we think that burrow is going to be pretty strong because you would likely be able to play uh in that in that game you would likely be able to play or or in that game sec you'd be able to play christian mccaffrey and mike thomas
4: yeah yeah, on the Bengals, I think, you know, Tyler Boyd is the only one that uh, of the receivers that we know for sure what his role is going to be. And then the other thing I think is a consideration is just Joe Mixon. He is priced a tier of, ahead um, as far as pricing of Todd Gurley and Miles Sanders. So I do think that leaves him as sort of a, a potentially a secondary option there. But he is a guy that, you know, especially late in the season last year, they leaned a lot from a workload perspective and could be one of the the, you know, 10 or 12 alpha running backs in the league.
3: Yeah, I uh I'm I'm with you there. Okay, Arizona San Francisco. These games were surprisingly competitive last year. You know, we have Arizona with the really low team total, but they were able to actually put up some points against San Francisco last year. I am of course bullish on the Arizona offense. I think that uh, you know, the Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk stack with the San Francisco wide receiver bring back is really interesting and this game also is going to have a huge impact with late and actives and late reporting because you know right now we are projecting brandon iuk and debo samuel to play but they might both not play where we're going to get really cheap trent taylor really cheap richie james maybe even really cheap jordan reed uh so i i think that uh, i think those guys are i think that this game is really interesting
4: Yeah, and if you are a subscriber to Daily Roto, Davis will have you covered with the lineup alerts before the 4 p.m. slate. So that'll be really important for, you know, the overall main slate making late swaps. It'll also be pretty important just for those of you guys who are playing showdown slates or 4 p.m. only slates. So definitely a big advantage there. And we should be rolling out the late swap optimizer for NFL later this week as well. So, uh, I mean, Jimmy G had his two best games of the season against his Cardinals team last year. Arizona was the flowchart team against the tight end spot. So I think they gave up 75% more points on average, which was massively different than like the second worst team. George Kittle was, without even factoring any of that in, George Kittle was going to be the tight end one on the slate because Travis Kelsey is on Thursday Night Football. So, you know, Jimmy G and Kittle definitely in play. Um, There is a scenario where San Francisco doesn't have to go into the same game scripts they did last year because the Cardinals aren't able to generate as much offense. So I do think there's a scenario where like a Raheem Mostert is in play as well but it's not really the starting point for me i would the starting point would be kind of jimmy g kittle and then hoping that one of samuel or is active with using the cards guys as a bring back because we know that kingsbury will for sure keep his foot on the gas and willing to get aggressive with the number of you know passing plays that he calls
3: yeah i mean i i hope that this like i have high hopes for this game of this game just getting you know very wild and aggressive basically uh I, and do you have any thoughts on Mostert, Tevin McKinnon, do you think any of those guys are playable? I mean, we have mostert for a a playable level projection. I and and Arizona, obviously, if that offense, you know lives up to their uh, lives up to their expectation, you know we would expect them to be uh, you know running a lot of plays and encouraging the other team to run a lot of plays, but i'm I'm not quite certain.
4: Yeah, and I know you know what we have projected right now is that McKinnon is playing kind of a third down role in that backfield, in that and that Mostert and Tevin Coleman are both getting some work with kind of a two to one split in Mostert's favor. Uh, definitely a thing that is you know only an MMA, only as a sprinkle. Probably a play I don't even touch in that format. Um, probably most like likely to use it in like a four PM only type of format.
3: Um. Yeah, I I think uh, I think that. I think that sounds uh, about right. So our, our final game here, we have Tampa Bay, New Orleans. And uh, I'm wondering, Colin, do you think that this is going to be a popular game with, uh, you know, how much people love Tom Brady? People love the Saints. You know, we think that, uh, you know, that the Superdome is sort of the the core's field of the NFL. Or do you think, you know, kind of the uncertainty with what the Buccaneers are going to look like is, uh, you know, going to keep people off. And, you know, we also have Bruce Arians stating that, uh, Mike Evans, you know, just as of this last week, he has a soft tissue injury, uh, mispractice on Wednesday and is going to be day to day for the Sunday opener. I would imagine that's probably nothing. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it ends up being a little bit something. I, I'm not sure. I, I like this game theoretically, but then I also know kind of in the back of my head that these teams really do want to run the ball.
4: Yeah. Uh, I think this game will be popular. It's certainly not going to go overlooked entirely, but my early lean was that the Seattle and Atlanta game would be a little bit more popular. Uh, the individual plays for New Orleans, like Michael Thomas, will carry some ownership, but he's priced up at nine thousand dollars, so I don't think it's going to be excessive ownership there. Alvin Kamara at seventy-two hundred will probably be the most popular player on the Saints, assuming that everything is good to go with him for Week One with the contract and everything. And I think that people won't play the secondary options on the Saints, so I, I don't expect Manny Sanders at fifty-seven hundred to be popular at all. And I think that Breeze will be you know, three to 5% owned, but not like the the highest owned QB on the slate. So uh, I, I think that you'll see some popularity here, but maybe less so. And part of that is just that the the total, I think, is a little bit lower than people might have expected. I think um, I would have thought this would have been like a 51 to 53 point spread based on all the offseason chatter and buzz. And that's really not what we're seeing here.
3: Uh Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't really remember the last time that a New Orleans Tampa Bay game in New Orleans was not uh, the talk of the town, right? You would, you really would assume that that would be a game that everyone was trying to get players in. But I think that reflects the impact of Jameis Winston, right? Jameis Winston just encourages the scoring of points by the mere uh, existence of the fact that he just doesn't care and he likes to to yolo. <laughs> he likes to yolo the ball around, and you know our projections are more conservative as it relates to the Buccaneers than they would be in this situation last year, for sure. You know, and I I think, and it's, and also that's true of the New Orleans saints, right? Every year breeze gets older, the team really does transition more and more to a run heavy team, especially in home games.
4: Yeah. And we've got them projected to um, be running on 46% of their plays, which is one of the highest kind of marks that we have on the slate. You know, the questions with Brady is, you know, how much of his, Desire to spread the ball around in New England was system based and talent based versus, you know, coming over to the box where we saw the targets all kind of funnel to Evans and Godwin last year. You add in Rob Gronkowski on this team who we don't expect to step into an immediate every down role to start the season. He's probably playing as a third tight end. But when they do use him, it's going to be in you know high impact situations like the red zone and kind of third downs where they really need him. Um, I mean, Chris Godwin feels like the comfortable play for the Tampa side of things just because there's zero injury concerns there, even if Brady does spread the ball around like the one you know, type of player that he always tried to target was the reliable kind of sure handed chain mover type. And so I think that from that perspective, Godwin feels like he's, you know, the lowest risk play on the Tampa side of things. Um, I have no interest in the Tampa backfield. Are you going to try anything there or is it just it's kind of priced out at this point?
3: Oh, I mean I, I got to, right? Because this'll be this'll be the one game this season where Rojo will uh he should clearly be the lead back in this game, right? I would expect that Keyshawn Vaughn is probably gonna be a game day inactive. Or I would say I would be surprised to see Keyshawn Vaughn active in this game. So then it'd be a three-back backfield one of those running backs would be uh, Ronald Jones, right? Uh, Or one of those running backs would be LaShawn McCoy, who is not going to play, you know, hardly much at all. Leonard Fournette, only been with the team. I think he's only been able to practice three times. So I would imagine, you know, he's not going to be the passing down back or anything like that. So if there were a Ronald Jones spot this season, uh, this this is probably going to be the spot. So I will be mixing him in uh, a little bit. So we are going to head into our... Final break here at the Daily Roto Hour at Sports Grid TV. We have taken you through all of the Sunday main slate games. So that's all of the noon games, all of the four o'clock games. Just broke a little bit of news here on the show with the Mike Evans soft tissue injury. When we return, we are gonna take a look at our favorite game stack from a ownership and projection uh, you know, combined perspective. So uh here in just a few moments, we are going to dig into that. See you guys on the other side of break.
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
0: I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida.
6: Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need.
0: In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast,
1: or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time.
3: All right, everyone, hello, and welcome back to our final segment here at the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrate TV. So uh, my favorite game stack, you know, considering everything involved, considering projected ownership, uh, considering the, the team totals and everything, for me, uh, it is actually going to be the Chargers and the Bengals. First of all, I think you can play Tyrod and Eckler together. Uh, I think Keenan Allen, obviously, is going to be a strong play, I think that I, I do kind of like the gamble on Jalen Guyton or Joe Reed. And, uh, you know, I'm really hoping that A.J. Green is just straight up inactive for this game so that I can play Burrow, John Ross, and, uh, you know, C.J. Uzuma and Tyler Boyd all together. And Joe Mixon, who, who our projections uh, really like as well. So that that's the direction I'm going for my favorite game stack.
4: Yeah, I, I think my favorite game stack this week is going to be the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson double stacked with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. think guys that both could see an increased role this year, obviously the ceiling on the Baltimore offense is so high and being able to bring it back with Jarvis Landry, is probably my preferred route um, just in the PPR scoring format. I think that week one, we can definitely make this type of stack fit and you're not going to be able to make Lamar stacks fit every week. So trying to capitalize it when it's still affordable from a value
3: perspective. So outside of Marquise Brown, who is the second guy that you are most excited to stack with Lamar? I or, so or i g I'm okay. Other than the other than Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews, are you gonna do it with Willie Sneed? Are you gonna do it with Mark Ingram? Are you gonna do it with Miles Boykin? Any of those guys? So I think
4: I need to do it with Mark Ingram, and that's something that is unnatural for me, but it was showing up so heavily in the data last year. And I think it's something the field does not utilize very much at all. So I want to include Ingram in that group, and I think I need to go out of my way to force that to happen in at least some of my lineups.
3: Yeah. Um, So everyone, there we go. That was kind of just, you know, a a fun first look at the DFS main slate on DraftKings and also some FanDuel ideas as well. You know, I think one of the things that we didn't really touch on it much is this is going to just be an amazing slate for tournaments because everyone is... Very confident about the outcomes. We are all so confident that we know this team is gonna do this, this guy is clearly ahead of this, and then you know, about an hour into the slate on Sunday, you are gonna be so upset because a guy you've never heard of just scored for uh the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you're you're so frustrated as James Robinson breaks the slate. So I would I would encourage you all to not be Overconfident in your projections of the outcomes, really embrace uh, volatility and uh, and and try and build lineups that are as anti-fragile as possible because uh, this opening weekend is going to be nuts. Thank you very much for watching and listening to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsCrit TV. We are heading out. See you next week after week one. sportsgrid.com
2: betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
0: i'm davis miller host of the new podcast the Dow of muhammad ali i met ali back in 1988 and to my great surprise we became friends his influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida.
6: Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need.
0: In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali
1: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time.